BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, Tran Hermostis, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. Today's guest is no exception. I have not had a hour, I want to say, where I haven't thought about some of the things that she said to me when we recorded this. So I'm so excited to welcome her to the show. Take a listen, get your tissues potentially ready because I got a little tear jerked, tear jerked at this a couple of times. Um, but I, I just think she's just one of the most special humans and I'm so grateful to have been introduced to her. So thanks for listening. As always, adore you so much. And also thanks to our sponsors who, by the way, are the reason we get to produce and put on this show. So thank you for listening to their messages as well, because they always give us such incredible coupon codes and they give us such amazing offers and they just are really great to work with. They wouldn't be on the show if they weren't incredible to work with. So thank you so much for them as well. Um, let's get into today's show. Just wanted to kind of just say hi, take a little breather. I haven't done a solo pod in a while. I'll do one this summer. We're going to have like a fun Q&A this summer. I'm figuring out how to do it. I haven't like 100% figured it out yet. I mean, everybody's told me how to do it a few times. I just haven't actually put that into action. My editor, Nick, is listening to this right now and is like, Sarah, I've already I've already emailed you instructions like 45 times, but there's going to be like a call-in episode where we can you can call in and leave a voicemail and I'll be able to uh, listen and answer back, which is just way more fun than doing it in Instagram stories. So I'm so excited for that, whether I do it with Shane or on my own. I don't know. I don't know yet. So we'll see. We'll see when that happens. It's coming soon. Now pressure's on. Enjoy today's show and uh, hope you're doing great. Tasha Spillett, welcome to the Papaya Podcast. You were highly recommended by Serene Fox, who has been an online friend of mine for so long. I absolutely adore her. And it's so impulsively, she, for me, she was like, you have to have Tasha on your podcast. And I was like, yes. And now we're here today. And I'm so excited because now we get to get into why Serene says you are absolutely amazing. I get to learn that. Everyone listening gets to learn that. So introduce yourself. 
what you're all about, and uh, then we're going to just go in. So good morning. Good morning, Sarah. Uh, so that's a little bit of very quick uh, Cree, which my, is my ancestral language. Uh, and so, yeah, I, t- I talked about in that like little tidbit, I talked about who I am and where I come from. Uh, my name is Tasha Spillett. I read under Tasha Spillett Sumner. I'm an author and academic, uh, but I spend most of my time changing diapers and arranging sleep schedules. I'm a mom to a two and a half year old and I'm super happy to be on the podcast today. So, oh, that must be such an interesting intersection. I'm, you know, a working mom myself and it's like that complexity of like, oh my gosh, look at me running a business, doing all this stuff. And then also you're just like, I just, this is a true story. I found poop on my hand and I was like, I haven't changed a diaper in four hours. So I don't know how long this poop has been on my hands. I have eaten sandwiches. There's a whole day and it's just such a humbling experience (laughs) to have a career intersect with motherhood. Truly. Definitely. I remember like, I mean, as an academic, I've conducted quite a bit of research. And then I remember in the early part of my motherhood, I was, you know, like analyzing the type of poop my daughters have, like the frequency of her poop. And I was like, this is what my academic training has come to like analyzing poop schedules. That's great. Oh my goodness. So talk to me a little bit about, I have a couple of questions. First of all, the last few years have been overwhelmingly important, but also I can imagine as somebody who is Afro-Indigenous, incredibly overwhelming. We have in Canada, both the um, awareness of everything that's happened with the residential schools, which I'm sure you were very aware of, but for a lot of people were not. And also being Afro-Indigenous, which is something that is a term I, to be honest, only learned in the last couple of years, started learning that that was, you know, an entirely different thing. So I'd love for you to kind of share um, for your own personal journey before we kind to get into your writing and that impact as well. For sure. So, you know, the last, the last two and a half going on three years has been tough for everyone, you know, like going through the watching our world just change every moment around us and really unsettle the things that we thought to be true about our daily lives, about our daily movements, but also the things you mentioned, those huge things about me, you know, for for Canadian folks, like how they understood Canada, how they understood their nationhood, the story of Canada, you know, for black and brown folks, like I've always said, you know, for black and brown folks, we've been, we've been surviving through some really horrific things for generations. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that, you know, the the pandemic has just been another thing that Mm -hmm. our families have, have been, uh, surviving, but, you know, as an Afro-Indigenous person, for me, it always comes down to thinking about my identity in terms of how absolutely incredible and magnificent it is to imagine all the people in my bloodlines who survived Mm -hmm. and thrived so that I could be here today drawing breath so that I could give birth to a healthy, happy daughter is just so incredible. It like, honestly, it blows my mind. I remember when I was pregnant and you probably had the same experience when you're just like, you know, growing your child in your body and you think like, holy smokes, like how many 
thousands of things had to go perfectly right to result in this child. And for people who have been historically marginalized, Mm -hmm. like people like, for example, in my bloodline, people who have survived slavery, people who have survived the Indian residential school system, multiple ways of assimilation to be here in spite of it all is just like so miraculous. Uh, And so when I know those tough days, like pandemic days, I always go back to there. Like, you know, we've been surviving. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can only somewhat relate in the sense of how, uh, you know, your life and timeline can, you know, just speaking into being pregnant, because for me, it was like going through massive life change of going through a divorce and, you know, being a single mom and just like the uh, not knowing where life was going to go. And then all of a sudden you just have this like new birth and you're just so very hyper aware of like how you had to meet that person and how everything had to happen, how even the pandemic came into play, how the pandemic had its, its role and like this person being a part of our world now. But for you, there's, you, you take such a, um, it, it uh, I don't want to say beautiful cause I don't want to like, I don't want to be negative towards those who speak on generational trauma, but you speak on it in a different tone that I've ever heard before. If I'm being honest, is like such an honor. And I'm not saying that those who have generational trauma don't also honor how, the beauty of what it took to be here, but how does that, how is that for you in sense of, you know, having that joy and that, you know, that ancestral survival within your body, but also that ancestral trauma, does that come up a lot for you? Or is that something that you've really worked towards? And I hope these questions are okay. You can shut me down. Yeah, no, they're great. They're great questions. When, you know, I know trauma is hard to carry hard and heavy to carry. And I think that in all of our families, we do what we can do within our own personal individual healing to lighten the load for our kids and the ones that are yet to come. I think like when I think about like, I don't want to live my life as a struggle. That's what I think. I think, you know, people in, in my family line and my bloodline have had to struggle for so long. I want to live my life with an abundance of joy. And that is my commitment to honoring what they've gone through. And I think that that's just, it just feeds, it just feeds me and gives me life. And, you know, we're both pandemic parents. We know that it's been real. I gave birth on March 3rd, 2020, just days before the first lockdown. Yeah. And it was inexperienced. You know, I was in those first days, I was so paralyzed by anxiety. Like I had all of a sudden, like I had to keep this perfect child safe from this unimaginable super villain that was all, like all of a sudden descended on our world it's like in the like, air did, of our world like yeah, oh my gosh like, it felt like it could knock on your door and like slap you across the face like you yeah. just didn't know where it was or what it was doing and I remember you know it was it was honestly 43 whole days before I found the personal fortitude to even leave the walls of my house. I was wow. so I was so paralyzed with anxiety and fear. And you know what it came to, Sarah, is like it came to looking at my daughter and and thinking about this this cultural teaching that we have that every child 
before that they are born, sees each and everything that their life will be. They see the good, the bad, the ugly, the triumphs, the celebrations, the struggles. And it's their first act of agency to choose to be born, to choose to come into this world, knowing all that they've seen. And furthermore, to choose who they come into the world to. And so I remember looking on the 44th day of being... I'm like um, in tears. That was a lot. <laughs> Holy, that's a beautiful state. That's a beautiful, beautiful um, belief. Yes, I love that. Thank you. Sorry, go on. <laughs> on the 44th day of being in the house with my newborn, I looked down at her and I thought of that teaching. And I was like, you know what? This little girl has seen everything. She's seen the pandemic. She's seen how it will go. She's seen how it will end. She saw the hardships of our nations, the recovering of the children um, at outside of Indian residential school. She saw, for example, she saw, you know, the horrific things that black and brown people go through, but she also saw the community strength. She also saw the love uh, and she had trusted me as her mom to walk her through that. And I was so humbled by her courage that, that day I, we went, we went outside after reflecting on that teaching, we started to make our way back into the world. Our, our children, Hey, like they are lighthouses. I, I so believe it. I was at a grocery store yesterday and this little girl came up to me and she goes, can I give you a sticker? And I'm like, yes, she was maybe three. And she puts a sticker on my hand and just walks away. And I stood there stunned so much so that I almost didn't pay for my groceries and was like, wait, what? And then I went back and turned around and was like, okay, I actually need to pay for this and go. And I was so stunned at a child who, for all I know, and what we can all almost assume, especially in Canada, has not really been out in the world much in the last, in, in most of her life and most of her sentient life of understanding has not really been out in the world. And her first choice is to go out and hand out stickers. Like she was doing it to anybody that she would cross a path of is like, can I give you this? Can I give you this? And I thought these children that are born in this time, there is something I I think in 20 years, we'll look back and say this particular group is carrying something so special. There is something so um, magnificent about them. And then for yours to have, like you said, like that choice to be born into something truly, uh, with, you know, a past of trauma, a current of unknown, and then also choosing that joy and to be born. I have to believe that with you. I have to, it's like one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. And, uh, it makes me excited for them. It makes me excited to know that, like, I think as a parent, especially when we hold so much, I wrote this thing once all about how, you know, when you're pregnant, you're like, if I just make it to 12 weeks, I'll be better. And if I just make it to, if I just make it to viability, I will feel, you know, good. And then if I can just make it to birth without it being a stillborn, great. And then if I can just make it past one year because of SIDS, okay, amazing. And then if we can just get through the toddler years when they crash into everything, great. And then if, and it just keeps going. Cause now I have teenagers and I'm still up in the night scared of everything that might happen. So this it almost takes like that pressure off to somewhat sit back and go, they already know their life. They already know what they're coming into. And that's such a beautiful thing to know that, um, yeah, just thinking about that choice to be born and that they're born into it and that they made that choice to be here. That is just, I'm just going to sit with that for a long while, but I have to ask you something. I'm a white Mm -hmm. woman sitting here doing my work. Uh, but I, 
do you feel heard? Do you feel as somebody who is, you know, witnessed the last two and a half years as somebody who's a writer, who's somebody who is, you know, a creator who is Afro-Indigenous, do you feel like after all of this last couple years, especially in Canada, with everything that we've confronted? If you followed me for very long or listened to the podcast for very long, you know that we are huge fans in our home of Hydrojug. And what I really love about Hydrojug is not only that they have reusable water bottles that you can use again and again and again, which is so much better than grabbing plastic, it also gives you options based on your personal needs and likes as well. In our family, everyone likes something different. My daughter, Gemma, well, she's at cheer class multiple times a week. She loves getting the original. It's lighter for her. It fills up with a lot of water and she can use it for her entire session at cheer. For me, I also love the original. My son, he loves the stainless. My husband loves the glass and my little Lemmy. She loves the new mini jugs. I don't know if you watch my Instagram stories, but we recently got the mini jugs and she loves a straw, right? So she look, little kids often like to sip from a straw. She loves it. And it's also great for me. I've used them as well because they're the perfect size to take anywhere. The mini hydro jug has a wide mouth opening for easy cleaning and mixing and has an included straw to eliminate the need to purchase extra accessories at all. You can rest easy knowing that Hydrojug mini Hydrojugs are also BPA-free and top rack dishwasher safe. You're not going to have to wash them by hand. I love that so much. Honestly, Hydrojug has just become a staple in our home. It's what I keep on my bedside table. It's keeping me hydrated while I'm podcasting. I really like their straws. I'm apparently very picky about straws and they have just helped me in so many ways. And now our whole family is using them in ways that work for them. Again, everyone has their own personal preferences. And I love that Hydrojug has those options. And of course, I have a coupon for you because you can go to thehydrojug.com and use code papaya to get 10% off your order today. Hydrojugs are game changers for anyone on the go. So use code papaya at thehydrojug.com to get 10% off today and start hydrating. One more time, hydrojug.com code papaya. I only recently came across Varsity Tutors and I'm so glad I did because I am not somebody who got on top of booking summer camps or activities for my kids early in the year when probably a lot of other people were on top of these sort of things. I feel like I'm still just learning as I go. Varsity Tutors is so incredible. They offer one week long small group camps on fun educational topics. Kids get all the benefits of summer camp, like learning new things, making new friends, exploring their favorite subjects, all from the convenience of home. Their online format means that kids make friends from across the country. They get access to really engaging camp leaders and parents don't have to drive them anywhere or be on call to pick them up after. There's also this really cool celebrity aspect that's really fun. Kids do challenges hosted by people like an astronaut for space camp, a world champion in chess camp, a TV storm chaser for weather camp, and they get invited to online meet and greet sessions with these stars too. It's all hands-on and interactive. Kids think they're having fun, but they're learning a lot too, which is the perfect way for them to enjoy summer, but still make progress. It's hands-on, interactive. Kids think they're just having fun, but they're learning 
learning so much too. Beginning Coders Camp uses a lot of offline games and hands-on activities to teach coding principles that they can apply online. Then there's STEM Innovators Camp that does different projects each day to get kids inventing real devices they can use, a solar-powered oven, Rube Goldberg machines, so they're learning science principles while also learning how to invent. These are like life-building tools. They even have a partnership with Monopoly where kids change the rule to Monopoly to learn about personal finance and business. For example, they play around where you have to market your properties to get people to land there and pay rent. In addition to the daily two-hour camp sessions, kids have an online camp clubhouse with all kinds of quizzes, celebrity-led mini sessions, and downloadable activities that they can happily explore their favorite subject as much as they want and as much as their parents want them to. Camps are available in STEM topics like space, dinosaurs, inventing, and experimenting, along with weather, coding for beginners, and through video games like Minecraft, Roadblocks, and Unity. There's also art camp. Some of the most popular ones are young animators and sketch masters and more fun topics like chess, magic, ancient cultures, and financial literacy. If you are interested in any of these, go to varsitytutors.com and use promo code papaya at checkout to save $50 on any summer camp. That's $50 off on any summer camp when you go to varsitytutors.com and use promo code papaya. That's V-A-R-S-I-T-Y-T-U-T-O-R-S.com promo code papaya. I can't wait to hear what all these kids get up to this summer. Let's get back to the show. Hi guys, I'm Haley Hubbard, mom and wife to a country music star. And I'm Jess Diamond, registered dietitian, parent educator, and mom. And this is the Meaningful Living Podcast, here to make parenthood and life a little easier and a lot less lonely. We bring on all our favorite experts and friends and answer all your questions. And ours. To break it all down into the simple and reliable tools, tricks, and answers. We get into the real side of it, parenthood, relationships, you name it. So join us every Monday at Meaningful Living, that's meaningful with two L's, for conversations that will leave you feeling way more confident. It takes a village and we can't wait for you to join ours. Do you feel like you have a voice in this? Do you feel like you are being heard? Or do you feel like the fight's getting harder? Because I find every time I come across people, they're like, ah, it's it's tricky. It's tough. How has it been for you? So, you know, what's interesting is I, I would say it, I would have answered this question a lot differently before I had a chance to do uh, to engage with younger children. Mm. So if I was, you know, before when I was doing a lot of talks with adults, when I was working, um, more fully in academia, I would have said, you know, like we are yelling at a brick wall. Like th- this is not changing. I remember this is so random, but I remember I did one of Peter Mansford's last interviews and Whoa. it was like a Canada day thing. And he asked me like in his iconic voice. Like, do you think that there's hope for reconciliation? And at that time, you know, I was at a different stage in my life. I said, no, I said, I I don't think that there's hope because, you know, people are, are unwilling to give up any power and privilege. They are unwilling to, to upset the power dynamic, which is ultimately is what keeps these structures of oppression going. Yeah. But children, Sarah, let me tell you, when I talk to children, they, they want to 
be holy with one another beyond Mm -hmm. the, beyond the constructions that we place over their heads. And it's so interesting. Like if there's hope and I, I guess it sounds cheesy and a bit cliche, it is the children, uh, but we have to, we have to like deal with our stuff. So we're not handing it down to the next generation. You know, it's so interesting. You're like, as a white woman, you have this question. I remember like every, it, it goes without fail. Like every time I do an anti-racism talk, some like a white person, white woman in the crowd, usually a white woman will raise my hand, raise her hand and be like, you know, Tasha, like, I feel so terrible. Like, what can I do? Mm. And I used to concern myself a lot with thinking about like, oh gosh, like I have to like create some sort of help package for these, these white women to do so. And you know what I realized was like, really the best thing that that people can do that white people can do is go talk to your own people, go Mm -hmm. talk to your own communities, do that healing work within your own families, because, you know, racism impacts people of color. Yes. But racism impacts white people too. It limits, it limits white people from having, you know, um, really, strong, empathetic, important relationships with other communities. And I think that like, yeah, like white people have a lot of work to do and it's within their own communities. It's within their own families to undo the harms um, of structures of oppression. Yes. I just watched this incredible documentary that's not out streaming yet, but I met the, I met one of the stars of it and the producer of it and on a plane and she like slipped me a note and was like, I'd love for you to come to our premiere. I couldn't make it to the premiere, but they sent me a screener of it and it's, um, it's called Deconstructing Karen and they bring people together for this dinner to have conversations about race. And what was so fascinating about it is they were bringing people who believed that they were not racist, who were, you know, more liberal felt like they were. And it was like a, they talked about how it was almost like a race to wokeness, right. Instead of actually like sitting down, they hadn't talked to each other about race. Cause they were just like, I don't see color. And she's like, no, I need you to see. Anyways, I'm not going to spoil that whole documentary, but it was one of the most impactful things. Cause it really did remind me that we keep a kind of leaning into like, I'm a part of of anti-racism courses. And this last, um, the one that I'm in right now with Monique Melton, her, she's almost like moderating us all as white folks ask and discuss amongst each other. And with her, these conversations that really need to be had, but because there's so much discomfort and there's so much denial and there's so much like shock and, you know, fragility that happens. And when I heard those words at the beginning, or I guess midway 2020, I was like, I was shocked and I was fragile and I was feeling so much guilt. And as I moved through it, I realized, um, you know, I saw this guy on TikTok and he did this whole thing about how he had such a struggle with rejection. So he just started doing things purposely to get rejected. Like he went and asked for like a hamburger refill and they're like, no. And he got so used to like getting rejected. And I think that in the last year and a half and through all of this, it's been like having uncomfortable conversations with white people. It's been in, you know, taking these classes where you are going to get called out. You're going to get called in. You're going to feel guilt and you're going to feel shame. And you have to learn 
to live with that because as somebody who is white, we have such a bubbled experience through this world. We have such a, an white supremacy. Like I had a friend, um, Kristen, who did this TikTok recently where she was like, this, everyone needs to stop saying the system's broken. The system's working. Like white mm-hmm. supremacy is alive and well, the system is very much working as it was intended to. It needs to not be this system. Like this is not what it is. So as you know, but I find a lot of work and especially in anti-racism really is coming from, uh, you know, American perspectives and as a Canadian, and especially with everything that's gone on with the residential schools in the last couple of years, we've had to face our shock, our guilt, our shame collectively, while also uplifting, listening to for, you know, now I go to meetings and people do land acknowledgements and every, at the beginning of calls, there's land acknowledgements and there's discussions around indigenous communities. I never grew up with anything like that. I grew up with the history that was taught to me, not the history that was. And so it's been a really, but I, I have to say like, as just an encouragement to everyone listening as well, I, I do hope that we continue to have really uncomfortable conversations with each other or at the dinner table and places that we can and have opportunity to, because it's extremely important, especially Mm -hmm. for those who are waiting on us to do that work and do that, our own healing to make sure that others are living, you know, uh, safer and less marginalized in this country. Definitely. And, and also just to recognize that, you know, to be thankful that having an uncomfortable conversation is, is, the is all you have to do. And it's not at the other end when you're like worried about the physical harm that could arrive on yourself, on your family, on your child. That's a real threat day to day. And so like, go ahead and get uncomfortable, go ahead and, and, and feel that all those feelings that you need to feel and, and really be, be thankful that that's, that that's all you have to do because, you know, there's, 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 those among us who like quite literally have to have, you know, quite literally wear targets upon our flesh because Mm. of the way that white supremacy teaches people to view us, to view our families. Uh, And so, yeah, that's, that's heavy. And I know that you, you rec, you, you talked about land acknowledgements and, you know, same, like I, I grew up not hearing land acknowledgements either. And I remember at the beginning, thinking like, Hey, this is, this is kind of interesting. This is, this is cool to hear in, in different coming out of different people's mouths and in different spaces. But now <laughs> we're like, it's, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword because now we're years into the land acknowledgement and different iterations of the land acknowledgements. And I want to know what's next because yes. words can be empty. And if they're mm-hmm. said over and over again and not coupled with action, then, then what does that, that doesn't help heal the relationship that doesn't build a relationship of trust and a relationship of equity. So, you know, like, I want to know, like if somebody is, if a corporation or an organization is, is, or a hockey team even is coming out with a land acknowledgement, I want to know how they're using their place, power, and privilege to redistribute uh, those things within communities, within mm. historically marginalized communities, yes. uh, because words without action mean nothing. Yes. 
No. And coming back to what you said about children are the hope, but children are also a responsibility for us because I just read something really interesting the other day that said that children as young as three months can identify race or can see, uh, if they, if they have a parent that is of one race, they will see one of a different race to be maybe not as comforting or not as, and it, it broke it down by the charts of like age and how race begins to, and by age two, they can actually start to discriminate towards Towards one or the other. So I, you know, I've spoken, I've spoken to a bunch of parents before who have said like, uh, who, you know, are from a marginalized com- community or BIPOC. And they just say, I don't have a choice to teach my child about racism or not. Like I have to, because I have to, you know, teach them so they can move safer through this world and be aware of things. And for, you know, as a white parent, I have to take just as much responsibility to teach my child about race and to have those conversations, you know, with my child as young as an infant and, you know, exposing them to that visually around other people, making sure that she can, you know, form this different type of just wiring of the brain because, we are very responsible for not only just the history that they learn and anything like that, but like how they are moving through this world, even as young as like toddlers, like little toddlers can differentiate mm-hmm. race and can discriminate race. That's, that shocked me. It, it is shocking. And, you know, like I often get asked like, well, why do you write picture books? And, and I always say like, I write picture books to bring into existence worlds that are worthy of my daughter. That was always my first intention. But then I was thinking, you know, like I, you know, I always write picture books so, so that she can reach her books with characters that reflect her and our yes. family. But you know what? I also want children from other communities to reach your picture books that show our families and, and our peoples in beautiful and dignified ways so that yeah. they, they can learn about our families in the ways that we, that we want them to learn about us. Mm. And I think that that's, that's so important that we like, we are teaching one another, we yeah. are coming home to one another, you know? And I think that that, that is like such a, also a beautiful thing about mothers from different communities reaching out to one another because we're building communities of safety for all of our children. Yes. Yes. Okay. This one's for anybody who is a nursing parent who maybe is looking for a great gift for a new parent as well. And I'm talking about LV. LV Stride is LV's new hospital-grade, hands-free, that's right, I said hands-free, electric breast pump. It's powerful yet quiet, blending into the background of everyday life without sacrificing power, comfort, or efficiency. So you actually wear it, it's incredibly lightweight, and it goes in the bra. That's actually underneath your clothing. So you can be uh, breast pumping while moving about your day, while working, while doing whatever it is that you need to be doing. LV's lightweight breast pump collects milk in bra and keeps your hands and body free to move. Like I said, this is hospital-grade performance, now hands-free and affordable, and it's app-connected so you can control your pump remotely and keep tabs on your pumping history, all without ever reaching into your bra. There's 10 settings to control comfort and suction, everything you can do while pumping, doing the dishes, doing the laundry, recording your podcast just like it's mine right now, even though I'm not pumping anymore, and it's not overpowering into the audio. Feeding a baby takes up a lot of time, almost that of a full-time job if you do the math. 
if you're pumping on top of that, it feels like double the time, especially if you're using a traditional pump that restricts you to one area for the whole session. LV Stride totally negates this problem and maximizes milk output in very little time. I just think this is a great option for somebody who's looking for something hands-free that kind of wants some of that freedom back and maybe is looking to up their experience as well. I'm somebody who I didn't love nursing. I didn't love breastfeeding entirely. It did feel like a job. And I think it's important to honor that it can feel like work sometimes, right? So anything you can do to create comfort, to create more ability to do things throughout your day, I think is incredibly amazing. And I think it's such a great option for somebody looking for that, especially if you're a parent of multiple children. That is so great to be able to pump anywhere, even doing car drop-offs for me. I do three drop-offs and pickups a day. That time in the car being used towards something like pumping is so game-changing. And right now you can visit lv.com slash papaya for more information. That's elvie.com slash papaya to get your hands on the new LV stride. That's LV. ELVIE.com slash papaya for more information. Thanks so much, LV. And let's get back to the show. Really recently, I was scrolling uh, TikTok and there was this one video that stopped me in my tracks. And the creator said, You deserve clean sheets. And it got me thinking how much our sheets impact us and how much that texture, that ability to stay cool at night, whatever it is is so important, even washing them. And, and I remember that very moment I took the sheets off my bed and I immediately washed them. And I was like, I deserve like fresh sheets. I deserve comfort and being able to lay down and rest in more ways than just closing my eyes. So I want to introduce you to cozy earth. Cozy Earth develops and crafts high quality goods with responsibility and sustainably sourced materials from the earth so that you get restorative sleep you need and curate your sanctuary. That's right, sanctuary and recharge from the comfort of your home. Cozy Earth is softer than cotton. It's made from soft and sustainable viscose from bamboo fabrics. Cozy Earth is temperature regulating, which means it keeps you cool and comfortable all night long. This is so important for anybody who struggles with feeling overheated at night, like I do. Cozy Earth has been featured on Oprah's favorite list four years in a row. Um, this makes an incredible gift for somebody as well. And they have a 10-year warranty on all of their products. That's incredible. Not only that, but they have a 100 night sleep test, which means if you put this on your bed and you buy 100 nights is like, no, this is, I don't fully love it. It's not for me. You can send it back for a full refund. Again, we deserve this comfort, restorative sleep, curating a sanctuary, recharging from the comfort of your home. These are the types of things that really help me because I can get a lot of guilt over something like, buying new sheets or even, you know, taking the time to reset my bedroom in any sort of way that it's actually so much more than just sleep, right? It's truly restorative sleep. And I love that. Cozy Earth has given us an exclusive offer for listeners today. That's 35% off. Like I can't even believe that. 35% off site-wide when you use code papaya. Simply visit CozyEarth.com and use that code papaya to get 35% off site-wide today. Thank you so much, Cozy Earth. And everyone, you deserve it. I love you. 
get some rest, restorative rest. Let's get back to the show. Let's talk about the dang books. I'm so excited. You have one on its way to Lemmy right now. Very excited to see her gasp away at this book of yours. <laughs> Me too. So you have a newer one, but you've written a couple books. Um, do you want to share a little bit about each of them and you know what inspired you to write them? Sure. So I first started publishing uh, books with graphic novels. I wrote a graphic novel series called Surviving the City, and that uh, there's three volumes, and it follows Indigenous young people, urban Indigenous young people, uh, just you know navigating being young, being teenagers, but also navigating you know the multiple things that impact Indigenous communities, like we've talked about, mm-hmm. uh, and that. Um, that series came about when I was working in working as a school teacher, working as a middle school teacher. Uh, and I got shoulder tapped to write, you know, any, anything they were like, Tasha, we want you to write for us to write whatever you want. And I, and I kind of thought about it and I, you know, I, I was like, you know, the only story that I can write is my own story. I feel yeah. like we are all experts in our own experiences. And so I wrote the story of what it was like to be a young urban indigenous person and also I was working with, with, uh, with young people around the time that, um, people will recognize around the time that the remains of Tina Fontaine were found here in Winnipeg. And it was so important to me to offer young people something that could walk beside them as they kind of, as they're forced to engage mm-hmm. all these heavy and terrible things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was my, that was my first, first series. And, um, and then I got pregnant and I, and I wanted to write something for that could be, you know, for the group age group of my daughter. Yeah. So I wrote, I sing you down from the stars, which essentially is a love song for, for my girl that kind of, you know, that kind of embodies that teaching that we talked about earlier, children choosing their life and choosing their families. And, uh, that, that picture book is illustrated by Michaela Goat, who's a native Alaskan. And she is a right, like, she's not, I can't even say she's a rising star. She's like an up there star. She's uh-huh. not, she's no longer rising. She's up there. Uh, she's just incredible. And with her, like the book has just lived such a tremendous life. It ended up on the New York times bestseller list, which is just beyond me still. Every time I say that, I'm like, oh. how did that happen? Uh, yeah, she's amazing. I've seen the cover and it's beautiful, but I, is this going to be like one of those books that parents are going to cry as they read it? I, I love That's that. That's what I hear. But I'm That's just what I, like, <laughs> I just need to be ready because I do it a lot. There's like certain books you read. I have this one, um, there's this company called Slumberkins and they write books that are like for emotional wellness, but one is like for grief and you're reading it. It's all about like saying goodbye. And I'm just like, <laughs> I can't even get through like page one and I'm just absolutely done. And as we, you just literally said one sentiment of that, um, ancestral teaching about a child choosing to be born. My tears are like coming into my eyes. So I'm just like, hold on. There's a whole book. I don't know if I'm ready. I'm very ready, but I'm not. I think that's the one. I think it's, it's one to bring tissues. So that's what I hear from parents is, you know, like my, my child loved the pictures and I was crying. So like, that's like one of the the main the main feedback yeah 
<laughs> so now that your career has sort of intersected, you went from teaching, being an academic, kind of going into writing graphic. Now, I don't even know how you like make it. It's just like, wow, all of a sudden you're like an author. What do you feel is next for you? Are you continuing on this path? Now you're a New York Times bestselling author. You have, you know, two successful once series and one children's like book. Is that something you're going to continue doing or do you kind of have a hunch about what's next? And to be fair, I hate when people ask me what I'm going to do next because I never have an answer for that. So you're also allowed to be like, I don't know. <laughs> I truly don't. So like, like I thought I knew, I thought I knew exactly who I was and what I wanted to do. And then I became Izzy's mom and mm-hmm. she's just has like completely reshifted my priorities. Yeah, I was raised by a single mom who had to like really hustle to do yeah. a lot to do a lot to take care of us. And I'm, you know, like where I'm at now is I'm trying to do the best I can to build a life for her that has me as present as I can be. So writing books is great. It's great for that. So I, you know, I have two more books coming out, one called Raven's Ribbons and the other one called Beautiful You, Beautiful Me. Those two, we'll see, we'll see how those two go. And I just keep on writing, you know, um, I'm working on my PhD, so I have to finish. (laughs) I have to finish that. My goal is to finish that this year. And, and then like you, like, you know, I, I love, I find a lot of healing and being creative and Mm. letting my creative side just flow. I'd love to get into, uh, I'd love to get into podcasts. I'd love to get into, (laughs) I'd love to do it. And, you know, we'll just, we'll see where it goes. You know what? I'm going to encourage you to get into it because it was one of those things that I was even really hesitant on. And it took a couple years to really like get traction and kind of get comfortable and to stop saying like and um every other word and to stop Mm -hmm. interrupting people all the time and really having to listen to a lot of bad reviews. But you've got like radio voice already. Like I I love when people have a great radio voice. You have one. You've got a great and you're a writer. So you you speak often about words and how important and impactful they are. I think you actually had on your blog, something about that words are medicine. Did you say that? Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Words are medicine. They can be used to hurt or to heal. And we just have to, you know, really be careful about how we use our, how we use our words. Tasha, I adore you. I just had to write that down. That words are medicine and they can help us too, right? Yeah. I I always have to take down so many notes because I have like a whole page because you just blew me away. Thank you so much. I want everyone to kind of like tune into your social channels and tell us like, where can we get the books? Like, especially for those who are really wanting to read um, the new book that's out, where can they get them? Is it from directly from you? Are there retailers? Where are we going? So the books can be purchased wherever books are sold. I always uh, encourage people to look for their favorite indie bookstore, but it's like chapters, McNally Robinson, Amazon, wherever books are sold, you can find my books. So that is, that's awesome. And then, uh, my socials, Mm -hmm. Instagram, Tasha Spillett, my, my website, tashaspillett.com. I would be so happy to meet new people and to, 
and to talk books, to talk anti-racism, to talk about motherhood. I welcome all, I welcome all the good words. Yeah. I, I love following you. I love connecting with you. We were, we're in DMS often. And I was just like, looked at my calendar for this week and I was like, Oh my gosh, we were literally talking yesterday and now I get to podcast <laughs> you today. And I'm just like, I'm so excited for this. It's been so nice to sit down and kind of get to know you more and to get to know more about your work. Even if we just barely scratched the surface on it, I just so appreciate your time and for sharing things like the ancestral teachings of life and children and the hope and all of it. It's just such a beautiful I'm just so excited for people to hear this one. So thank you so, so much for your time and for being here. And for everyone listening, I'm going to have everything for you in the show notes as well. So you can check out Tasha, follow all of the things, get the dang book, read it to our children, and let's have these conversations right from when they're little. Thanks so much for listening. And Tash, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening all the way through this episode. If you've made it this far, I have one more little thing to share with you. Did you know that I actually have a photo and video editing app? So many people were surprised to hear that I have one, but it's actually been around for a little while and you can join over 200,000 of the Papaya community by downloading my free app, Pink Papaya on iOS. While so many apps focus on changing your appearance, Pink Papaya is all about celebrating yourself for exactly who you are and expressing your creativity and your storytelling with nearly 50 free filters and tools. Find us on social and share your edits as well. We might just share them too. So tag me as well at Pink Papaya app. Just had to share that with you, especially as the springtime's coming. We've got some really cool things happening in there and so much more coming. Check it out at Pink Papaya app. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at the Papaya Podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.